Views and opinions conveyed on this podcast, Glossa 3, are in no shape or form of those pertaining to the view of the podcast host and do not correspond to the official positions taken by Gulasati in matters regarding social, political, and cultural issues. The following podcast may contain material, themes, and situations that some listeners may find disturbing or too intense. Our podcast is intended for mature audiences, and some content can be graphic in nature. This particular episode contains instances of depression, eating disorders, anxiety, as well as self-harm. Ultimately, the goal of Gulasati is to deliver quality content and stories that reflect the human condition, but also shine light on the raw and genuine experiences of everyday people in Thailand. Thank you for your understanding and your courage if you choose to consume our content at your own leisure. Welcome to Gulasa 3, a podcast for the contemporary Thai youth. My name is Bang. And I'm Sandy. Today we have a special guest. Well, every guest is special. Our first guest is my good friend, Sandy Sitipan. That name might ring a bell as you can often catch him running in the morning at Lumpini Park with the Bangkok governor, who also happens to be his dad. Welcome to the show, Sandy. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm so happy to be here. The public may know me as the well-educated son of the Bangkok governor, who just recently graduated from the University of Washington. On the exterior, I'm friendly, empathetic, I'm funny. I'm also a huge history nerd and writer. Even with my optimism today, I've been through a lot of tough times over the past decade. Today, I'll be unbinding my narrative. Before we kick off today's episode, we want to take a moment to thank the following people. Salmon House Studio and Kunchotika for assisting in both production and editing capacity. We also want to acknowledge two important people. French Wonganansai and Nikki Gesseli Glucksman, who have collaborated together to bring you the official beat of the podcast. Thank you also to Ned Kavita, Supravanit, and Chayut Pekko Setbunsang for being our advisors. So, some of you may be wondering what is Gulasatri? Why is our podcast called that? Well, in the olden days, Gulasatri was an umbrella archaic term used to describe a feminine ideal of a woman an archetype of one that is well-behaved, graceful, virtuous, and soft-spoken. Certain activities Gulasatri's partake in include fruit carving and stringing flower garlands. We want to redefine what it means to be a Thai woman in today's society. It gives people a platform to address ideas and issues, but also grant them a voice that allows them to be heard. Our guests this season are bold to have agreed to share their personal stories and hardships. But this show is really for others who are struggling. All right, let's get started. Sandy, for our listeners who don't know who you are, could you tell us a little bit more about your hearing loss? Sure. I was diagnosed with hearing loss when I was one year old. My relatives noticed. I think it's more appropriate to call it impairment, not necessarily a disability. I can still hear and live a normal life with some readjustment. To my routine, there was no solution at the time for hearing loss in Thailand, so I had to move to Australia, where cochlear supplant, cochlear implant surgery was available. I moved there when I was two, in 2002. At the time, my dad was an engineering professor, and my mom was a flight attendant. They're currently divorced now. Uh, my dad tried so hard in vain to find a solution. He kept praying for a miracle, going to temples finding the best doctors in Thailand. 
But eventually, a research opportunity in Sydney came about, and my dad sees it. We had to uproot our entire family's life to move there. So 2002, we did a surgery. The doctor who administrated my surgery was a doctor named Paul Gibson. And afterwards, I did my occupational therapy and speech therapy with its therapist called Cheryl Dixon. Spent a year there. Um, I came back to Thailand in 2003. I then enrolled in the LC. That's where I met Peng and her sister. Did your parents ever sit you down to tell you that you were different from other kids? No, they didn't. They just told me that I was normal. They told me that it just, it's just some different lifestyle changes, but it didn't necessarily make me different or special. So you didn't feel like you were different at all from the other kids, even with your hearing implant? I didn't think I was different. I just thought people treated me differently. Mm, I see. And what was high school like for you? Uh, high school was a challenging time for me. Not necessarily because of how my grades or anything. I just felt that I was only popular because of my, who my dad was and not because of my personality. Every year, I would host birthday parties. But people would come even if I wasn't being a good friend to anyone. At that moment, I just felt worthless. There was a lot of expectations and pressure by my parents to do well academically. They paid tutors and set up connections for me. My dad would always prioritize getting into a good university like the Ivy Leagues because he went to MIT. Um, he would always put, put this idea that I would never do well if I got to a, a mediocre university. He would tell me that if I get to the best universities, I would get the best quality education. I would get the value for money. Mm, and do you feel pressured to live up to your dad's level of success now that he's the Bangkok governor? We've had conversations about how you feel like you'll never live up to his achievements. He set a, such a high bar for me. Like, I had to follow in his footsteps. So it just made me feel like, oh, he's, you know, he's doing so well. So that means that as his son, you know, I should be able to meet that barometer. I see. Do you feel pressured to live up to your dad's level of success? We've had conversations about how you feel like you'll never live up to his achievements now that he's the Bangkok governor. Yeah, uh, I do feel pressured. My dad set, set such a high bar for me, a high barometer for me to reach. So in that sense, I'm scared and intimidated. I understand. Has the pressure you felt from your dad's success hurt your mental health growing up? You've shared with me that you had body dysmorphia. When did this start and how? Yeah, I felt the pressure from my dad's success definitely did have an effect on my mental health. My body dysmorphia issues started materialize when I was 14. That's when I started noticing my body was not in a good shape. I noticed I started losing confidence in my body. I wasn't comfortable with my body. My relationship to my body was toxic. I would always look at myself in the mirror. I would always compare myself to other people. I would always compare myself to my friends. 
I would always, you know, try to compare to myself to unrealistic body standards in the media. I was always constantly disturbed by my fact and my appearance. My ideas of masculinity were toxic, influenced by my media consumption and popular culture, such as Korean drama. And I would think that having a six-pack would help me attract girls. I would always starve myself to death, eating less. I would monitor what I ate rigorously. I went from being 66 kilograms in high school to 86 kilograms at the end of freshman year in university. My parents were always disappointed and angry. They always tried to find ways to spark interest in exercising. Therefore, they bought me a treadmill. This started around the time my dad left office, so around 2014. I see. So back then, how did you view yourself? And has it ever gotten to the point where you hated yourself? Yeah. Um, at that time, for me, I had low confidence and self-esteem issues. So I started, you know, doubting myself. I started hating myself for who I was. I didn't think that I was confident enough. I was always depressed. I was always disappointed in myself. I had this like this incredibly high bar set for myself that I felt I had to get there no matter what, even if it risked my life for it. So when did you first experience symptoms of depression? Is there an event that caused your depression and have you ever had the thought of wanting to kill yourself? I first experienced symptoms of depression in 2015 in middle school. I would feel sad and drained for no reason. I always isolated myself from a lot of people. Every day felt like a chore to me. There was no specific trigger to my depression. It was just an accumulation of things like academic pressure, stress from my parents, and so on. But throughout all this, I never harbored feelings of wanting to kill myself. Yeah, and I'm so glad that you never felt like you had to kill yourself or find a solution that would physically hurt you out of this. And how did you cope throughout this? I would always distract myself with happy things, happy memories. But at the, at the same time, I was also addicted to video games. I also had my fair share of anger issues. I would not be a great person to be around at times, like a ticking time bomb to friends, families, and others. I would be hostile. I would always lash out. I would always shout, throw things, vent my frustration. I would always try to resort to physical assault. I was always trying to provoke people. So, Sandy, can you talk more about your relationship with crying? I didn't cry in a good outlet. It ain't okay to cry no matter what. You can't just hold your feelings in. It's best to let them go instead of spring. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think it's really important to find a healthy outlet to express your emotions, even if it's distressful ones. So I definitely think crying is so much better than bottling it up. So how did your parents react when you brought this up to them and tried to seek help? At the time in 2015, 
My dad was currently the CEO of Q House, so um, he had a lot of time to spend with me. So he's able to understand my problems, try to understand my perspective, and he would send me to a therapist. But ultimately, that didn't work. He would try to read books about psychology and child development. He was trying to be more empathetic to me, which made me made me feel appreciated. However, my mom was really dismissive of my mental health struggles. I told her last year, it was met with disdain and hatred for psychotherapy because she was really conservative and had a traditional viewpoint on mental health. She was obsessed with traditional medicine as a remedy. She thought my issues were because of hormones, just being a teenager. It was just a phase of growing out of it. She was also wanted me to look good and mentally, physically fit so I can be healthy and present myself well. So that was a subset of toxic masculinity. And did taking medication help you? Yes, it was a common presence to my life. I don't know where I would be without medication. I just so started seeing a therapist only two years ago. So during the height of COVID. And how has therapy helped you? What did it teach you? I think undergoing therapy and being able to handle my mental health has made me realize the importance that being vulnerable is not a weakness. We are human in nature. It's okay not to be okay. I agree. And I would just like to reiterate again that it's okay for men to cry and show their emotions. I also want to mention an excerpt from my BC friend's memoir who grew up with a physically abusive father. So he wrote that feelings are meant to be felt. Crying is an expression from the heart and fear is not a weakness. A strong man is soft, kind, and empathetic, while a weak man is loud, abusive, and violent. So, moving forward, when did you start gaining attention from the public? When I was 12 to 13, my dad at the time was an academic at Chulang Khan University. But suddenly, overnight, he became the deputy transport minister in 2012, then elevated to transport minister. So that was when I started gaining the public spotlight because of my, my life story and my dad's connection to it. My peaceful life was upended. The media started reporting and discussing about facets about my life. It just felt my privacy was being intruded and violated. Payne and I met again this year. At the same time, governor election happened. My dad won expectantly. I knew that he was going to win. I had every confidence in the world that he was going to win. I called it two years ago when he declared for the election. So... All three of us have had our own fair share of struggles, and each of us have our own different reason as to why we're doing this podcast. Our podcast is an ongoing examination of Thai social and current issues in modern day contexts. So through Gulasathy, we hope to stimulate healthy and open-ended discussions that lead to a more equitable and inclusive society. Within our podcast, we believe in three core values, equity, empathy, and maturity. So let's talk about the process about this podcast, the methodology. How did it come about? Let's say it. I'll just tell the story. So Sandy and I met when we were five. We were both 
enrolled at ELC, the Early Learning Center International School in Bangkok. And fun fact, Sandy actually had a crush on my sister. And I remember that he would always bring Barbies and gifts, like, randomly every week. And, yeah, that's how we met. And um, we met again this year when his dad won the election as a governor. And I was interning at an investment bank. So we reconnected over that time. Sandy, do you want to tell how the podcast started? <laughs> I'm glad you asked that. It's a very funny story. You were, you were telling me that you already started a podcast with your Ronang Faye. That's not, that's not true. I did not say I was starting a podcast. I just pitched you the idea while I was um, still interning at like a Wall Street firm. And you actually told me to do it. Yeah, and look where we are right now. Never thought it would be a reality, but here we are. So I would also just like to make a disclaimer that we're not dating and that we're strictly friends. I promise yeah. to the public. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, no rumors, please. Rumors, no rumors, please. No, please, we're actually not dating. I really yeah. hope that you guys believe that. So could you share why you're doing this podcast? As a governor's son, I was recently thrust into the spotlight. It gave me an unexpected platform and voice to advocate for myself rather than do 20 to 10 interviews about being Chachar's son or how it feels to be famous, how it, what is my thoughts on city planning. I just want to have my own opportunity to carve my name for myself. I want the Thai public to know me as someone resilient, strong, and brave, someone who's willing to take a stand about social issues, using my voice for something greater, using my voice to help people's rights that should be given a platform or a healthy discussion about it. Just because I'm the son of a governor, that doesn't mean that I'm going to change who I am. I will continue to be the best version of myself in my own way. And this begins with this podcast. Yeah, and this podcast is a reality now. So what we can take away from Sandy's story is that no one is perfect. Limelight isn't always fun or as alluring as it can be. And mental health does not discriminate. It affects everyone, regardless of your socioeconomic class. Sandy, thank you so much for being publicly open with your hardships. Thank you for being here with us today. If you haven't already... Please follow us on Spotify and our media platform from TikTok to Instagram. Leave us a rating and feedback and share this episode with your friends and family. If you found today's episode quite emotional and thought-provoking, let us know in the comments of our Instagram post. Our handle is gulasatri.th And with that, we'll end on a positive note. And see you in the next episode where we'll be diving into more of mental health and beauty standards. Thank you.